if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, or you can just read from the screen. We are starting today a new series on Colossians. So, and we're just looking very, very vaguely today at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it reads like this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Paul writes this letter to the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, when he's in, under house arrest in Rome, possibly, well, he's certainly awaiting trial, which could possibly end up in the death sentence. And as we look at this letter, it is good to have that sort of banner over it. This is not a guy writing from a great conference and great worship. This is a guy under house arrest in Rome, waiting for his trial, the outcome of which is very uncertain. He's chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And the early apostles were those who... <laughs> there were the 12 that went with Jesus. They lived and spent three years listening and hearing him. But that 12 was part of a crowd that followed Jesus. So one of the things that uh, we think of, it's just like Jesus and the 12 blokes. Actually, actually, there was a sort of crowd of people. It says there were wealthy women who supplied the needs of the apostles and Jesus as they walked, walked around Galilee. And uh, Jesus preached, taught, healed the sick. And occasionally Jesus would send the 12 apostles out and they would heal the sick and uh, it would be part of their training. We know Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, so then it went down to 11 apostles. Then when Jesus ascended into heaven, they chose another apostle called Matthias. And then later on, Paul has an encounter with Jesus and he becomes an apostle. Um, and they're basically people in the early church that received revelation and understanding of the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible, and how Jesus fulfilled all that, and then revelation about what was coming at the end of time. These were the apostles, and Paul was called um, to be one of those. And he's got Timothy with him in this instance. Timothy is also writing. Timothy was a, a younger man than Paul that Paul had taken aside and said, come and work with me. And together, it says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul always starts his letters incredibly positive about God's people. He loves them. He loves them so much. He's going to give his life for them in the end. But he writes to how he sees you and me, God's holy people. People that God has 
transformed from being dead to being alive, to being out of relationship with God, to being in relationship with God. That's why we gather to praise and worship, because we are now in relationship with God. God is here. If you, if you don't know that you know God, then talk to someone around you. Because as we sang in the songs, there is nothing like knowing God. It's not a perfect, suddenly everything's great, but it's in the midst of suffering, there is peace. In the midst of celebration, there is tremendous joy because God is in our lives. And he writes to them as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And may God our Father give you yet more, as it were, grace and peace. But why are we going to look at this book? Because we're going to take quite a long time looking at this book. Um, it's going to take us right through into May time. We're not going to rush through it. So I just encourage you to add um, to your sort of Bible reading, however you do that, that over the next couple of months, you read and read through Colossians. Um, takes anywhere between probably five minutes and people like me, half an hour, three quarters of an hour. Um, <coughs> just read it, read it in the different versions, so that this the word permeates our lives. Um, we may look a little later um, at some of the resources that you could use. So we're looking at this book because it relates to who we are, our situation. Colossians was a small, in our language, market town. It had been a great trading place. <laughs> and it was going downhill. It was a small town going downhill. Now, I've only been in Kettering four years, but if I talk to anyone who's been here over 10 years, they all say the same thing. You should have come when it was good. <laughs> or, I remember when we had a high street, not a charity shop. <laughs> this was a place that was actually going downhill, and it was small. One of the reasons that we can look at it. But secondly, the believers were under pressure. And uh, this comes out in the letter as, as we read it through. They were, they were being pressurized to conform to the beliefs and practices of the world around them. So their church had been planted, um, actually not by Paul, but by, by a guy called Epaphras. It had been planted when Paul was preaching in Ephesus, a um, couple of days, probably a couple of days, maybe more journey away. Epaphras had heard what Paul was take, her, saying, went to Colossae and repeated what Paul said, and a church was formed. <coughs> this is now about 10 years later. Church had been going for about 10 years, and believers were sort of feeling the pressure of, yeah, you Christians, you're, you're too different. You're too different. So why don't you just change what you believe a little bit, and then you would fit in better with the world around you. And they were under pressure to do that. And many of us will have felt the pressure 
from maybe family, work colleagues, people down the street. Just, just give a little bit. There was also some false teaching within the church. In uh, Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul talks about the hollow and deceptive philosophies based on human ideas. The church in the UK is facing tremendous challenges to embrace tolerance in every form except that which is a solid truth. We are being encouraged more and more. Let's just be accepting. I saw there was a banner on the news last night which just said this. It said, love is love. It's like everybody just love one another, accept one another. See, the banner should have said, God is love. But when God is love, love changes. Love is not totally tolerant. Love has moral values. Love is an expression of who God is in all his purity, in all his mercy, in all his compassion. But he draws the line. We must be those who are in relationship with him. Those who have recognized there was nothing that we could do to restore the relationship which was broken back at the beginning of time. And the only way back is through Jesus. And that he has taken all the filth of the world on the cross. That he might create in the earth a holy people separated to God. Secondly, they were being encouraged to live their life no longer by grace, but by rules. If you live like this, you're a good person. If you live like this, you're a bad person. If you can just keep up this standard, you'll be all right with God. If you can't, you're a failure. When Paul says grace and peace to the church, he is saying, I want God's favor on you. And God's favor is, you can't do anything to get back to God, to please me, apart from to believe in Jesus. Then that affects your life and how you live. And it's not rules and regulations. It's not about special days and high days and low days. It's about walking hand in hand with God daily. It's about receiving his mercy and his grace into our lives. And again, across the church, sometimes there's tremendous pressure to do things the church way, to speak the right language, to dress the right way. We don't want rules. We want grace. Everyone is equal. Everyone has different gifts. 
everyone is unique. Everyone is acceptable to God through Jesus. So it was a small town. Its believers were under pressure. And as I said, it was indirectly connected to Paul. Um, Paul had never visited the church when he wrote this letter. Um, I'm not even sure that he ever visited Colossians. It had been planted, as I said, by Epaphras. The church had never met Paul, but they recognized that Paul was an apostle sent by God and a man who could speak into their church. And in some ways, it's similar to us in that we don't have an apostolic figure in the church. But we have those that are around us. It's a letter, too, about relationship. Paul and Timothy wrote this letter, and in chapter 4, <coughs> there's a guy called Tychius who's going to deliver the letter. He's a dear brother and a faithful minister, and I'm sending him to you to, for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful brother, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And you've received instructions about him. I'd love to know what they were. What did, what did Paul write about Barnabas? Sort of, he's a quiet lad, draw him in. Or, he's got a big mouth, but he's worth listening to. He tells a good story, but try and get him to read the Bible. No? Anyway, all these people... Then Epaphras is a servant. He's coming with you. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Demas sends his greetings. Um, and Nympha in the church in her house, they all send greetings. Paul was not an isolated apostle on his own. He had this huge circle of friends around. As do we. We've strangely mentioned it quite a lot today. But I just want to run through our relationships. So, firstly, we are part of New Frontiers, which began back in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, with a guy called um, Terry Virgo. Um, family of churches, it was based down in the south coast. It's gradually evolved um, to the point where basically it became a team of apostolic figures with churches, probably about 80 churches, in different nations around the world. Because of the complications of both charity law and also structure, that New Frontiers has multiplied into what we call spheres. Um, so we have New Frontiers still exists, but now it has a number of spheres around the world. And the sphere, because of charity law, all the spheres have to have names. So we, our name, in part of the sphere that we're in, is called Catalyst. And we, we could get another balloon, actually, with all these names written on it and bounce it around shouting out. <coughs> anyway, that's Catalyst, and that's run by, by uh, Simon, 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 Holly. Simon Holly, um, and he's based in Bedford. 
then, <laughs> because Catalyst then grew a bit, so New Frontiers is now probably two, two, two and a half thousand churches around the world, I think in about 80 nations, um, because Catalyst has now grown, that then multiplied again into hubs. Isn't this exciting? Isn't it? It's just, just so gripping. But it is useful just to say it once time. And uh, because we are open door, and virtually every other church belongs to a hub, because we are open door, we belong to two. That's either because we're very indecisive or we're just really liked. <coughs> One of those is run by a guy called Martin Tibbet, who I think was involved in Open Door many years ago. He also happens to be in Bedford. Um, and the, part of the reason we're connected with him is um, Adrian has been with him since Martin was a little boy. <laughs> Adrian was an old man when he met him. No. <laughs> Um, but also because I was quite heavily involved in West Africa um, at one time, and that has passed that on to Martin Tibbet, and just to keep our connection with West Africa, because I believe we have a few West Africans in the house. I believe we have a few English in the house. Our West Africans, you've just got to loosen up a bit, <laughs> make a bit of noise, because we hardly heard you. Are there any West Africans in the house? <laughs> well done, El Olu. <laughs> yeah, so, and he's heavily involved in, with uh, Sam Amara, who was here um, about 18 months ago or so. Um, so we... We're part of that team. But then we have Rob Davey, who was here a few weeks ago. Um, he, was one, he was one of the guys that particularly brought me in, so I get on very well with Rob. And um, so we're part of his um, hub as well, as we call it. And actually this afternoon here, there's a meeting of our leadership team, the um, Catalyst leadership team from Church in Leicester and Rob's um, leadership team, Solihull, Leicester and Open Door and we're just talking about what we can do in terms of reaching out across the Midlands to plant churches into places where churches aren't. So that, that's here this afternoon. You're not invited unless you've already had your invitation. <coughs> not my call. I would have had you all. Then finally, there is Unreached. Now, Unreached is um, another part of New Frontiers and Catalyst. It gets more exciting, doesn't it? And actually, on the back table, there are some cards from Unreached, um, just to give you the website and explain a little bit about what it's at. Um, I nicked those from a conference I was at, so I thought it would be good. <coughs> and Unreached is run by a guy called Andy McCulloch, who was the voice when Ali wasn't speaking on the video. So you can't see his face, but you have heard his voice. And he, was, he came here about a year, year ago or so. And 
they particularly are looking at parts of the world that are unreached or where the gospel is <coughs> um, frowned upon by the nations or even excluded. Um, and both Adrian and I work with Andy McCulloch in the unreached. And it's obviously where Mark and Ruth sort of draw in as well. They didn't know they were part of unreached, but they were at the time. <coughs> we used to pray for them. And then when we heard they were being kicked out, we just prayed for them to come here. God answers prayer. Hallelujah. And uh, yeah, you'll, we'll hear more and more about how unreached. So that's part of our sort of family, which is ever-growing. Now, not only would you have this close family, but it's what I call, our, we also have cousins. Next slide. And uh, so that's our direct family, the New Frontiers, Catalyst, Solihull, Unreached, Bedford, bit of family. Then we have what I call our cousins. It's not a biblical phrase in any way. And there, the other churches around Kettering and Northamptonshire, and uh, we meet together with various leaders, and hopefully over the years we will grow more together. And then part of the Evangelical Alliance, that is uh, an organization of evangelical churches that speaks on our behalf, um, particularly um, in, uh, sort of in the world of politics and fighting for evangelical rights, um, we are also part of that. Because as Paul, who wrote this letter, was not alone but had this family around him, we should not be alone. We want to be caught up in a bigger vision than ours alone. We want to be part of the worldwide church. We were so privileged to have Ali speak last week. And then what happens in Turkey and Syria? It just grips you because you suddenly you know someone there. You know someone who's dealing with it. And we have friends like that around the world. We have Sam Amara in uh, Nigeria, who we know, and others. We want to be part of a bigger vision than just good old Kettering. But we do want to see Kettering and Northamptonshire changed. We do. Right, <clears throat> so that's part of the reason we're looking at the letter. Another, it's a letter about living differently. I'm just going to... So, Paul is going to talk to us about living differently as people. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Live a life worthy of the Lord. God has forgiven us all this muck that we had in the past. He's forgiven us our broken relationship with God. He has clothed us now in new bright clothes. And Paul says, now walk according to what you are, not what you were. Live a, while, live a life that pleases God. Have your eye on what pleases him, not what pleases the world. Change your life. And we'll be looking at that as we go through the letter. He says also, put to death... There are things in our lives, there are things in my life and probably in your life which God doesn't particularly approve of. There are things that we carry over from our past and Paul is going to teach, tell us and teach us how to put those things to death. 
Before I became a Christian, I was a really good liar. Um, I only got the slipper at school once, and that was a whole team got the slipper. Um, our, our PE teacher didn't think that we'd done something correctly, so he just slippered us all. For those under the age of 30, <coughs> I have not considered suing the school that slippered me. But the rest of the time, I could always get out of trouble because I was just a very good liar. When I became a Christian, I discovered you weren't meant to lie. <laughs> you, when, when you did things wrong or you, um, you weren't quite as good as you were meant to be, I could lie my way out of it. And uh, if I had, was meant to do something and I didn't do it, I could just lie my way out of it. And then suddenly I discovered as a Christian, you're not meant to lie. And suddenly this was, Dave, you've got to put to death lying. Now I've been a Christian about 45, 46 years now. And I've nearly killed it. <laughs> nearly killed it there are still some instances when I just can stretch the truth inadvertently <laughs> to cover my back I have 46 years of put into death put into death put into death put into death put in. there are other things that I did before I became a Christian which when I became a Christian I realized I didn't need I wasn't meant to do and they just went it's like weird. Why is God, why is this bit gone and you've left me to fight this bit? He says, because I want you to learn and I want you to show your determination to live a life worthy of me. I want to show that you have the strength to overcome these weaknesses. You have the strength to step forward into your new life. Not because you're breaking rules, but because you're being transformed daily into the image of Jesus. And we'll see as that happens. It's a letter about living with one another. Paul's going to teach us as we go through this letter. Therefore, this is chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all in perfect unity. We're going to come up against the one another's of the Bible, how to live together, how to, how to live as holy people together. <clears throat> and then he's going to teach us something of what it is to be united with Christ. What it is to be forgiven, restored and loved by our Father in heaven. How to be a holy people. These are all things that we are going to learn as we go through this letter. <clears throat> But this letter also does something else. Something that in the last 30 years, I would say, is more urgent for us 
than it has ever been in the past. Twice, houses that Leslie and I have lived in, in London, have been shaken as bombs went off in London. It's, it's a weird feeling seeing your house shake. Twice that's happened to us. Um, a number of times I've been threatened with knives and meat cleavers and stuff like that because people didn't like us. I've had two cars, this is not giving you a suggestion, completely destroyed by members that got upset with me. <laughs> That's life. But never in the last 30 years or so has so many negative, tragic, horrendous things happened that has made it in the news in our country. You have the, you know, the cost of living crisis. People are genuinely suffering, although it's also helping us to decide how we should spend our money, really. The war in Ukraine, all that's happened in Turkey. We're constantly assaulted with painful um, news. We are constantly being told things are getting worse and worse. And the only way that we can stand against this is to lift our eyes to Jesus. And this book exalts Jesus in an amazing way. It shows him as Lord of all. It shows him as conqueror over the demonic hosts. It shows him as the King of Kings. It lifts him up and says, look who Jesus is. The world is like this. The world is struggling. They're telling you live by rules. They're telling you to be tolerant. They're telling you to be this. They're telling you to be... But Jesus is in heaven, seated. And you are seated in him. And this book is so relevant to us in lifting our eyes at the present time to Jesus. Because when our eyes are on Jesus, when we are being filled with his spirit, when we are being led by Jesus, we have something to say to the world that will lift them above all this muck, which will enable them to <laughs> persevere, will enable them to sing with joy, will enable them to be lifted up from where they are to be exalted into the place seated with Jesus. This book, it shows us we're part of a family, a worldwide family and a family of open door. It's a letter about living differently. It's a letter about living with one another. It's a letter about living with Christ. But it's a letter that is going to exalt Jesus in our thinking. It's going to lift our eyes up to him and we are going to walk stronger, taller, more powerfully, but more graciously, more full of mercy and more full of love to the world in which we live. This book is going to be worth reading and it's going to be worth putting into practice. Amen.